Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 54 of the Hangtime with Helgi podcast. I am your host, Luke Halgerson. You know how we do it. couple topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. Topic number one, kind of off what I did last episode, predicting the NFL over-under win totals. We did it for the AFC last time. This time we're going to do it for the NFC. And I got to tell you, looking at these over-unders, it is much more difficult to pinpoint the NFC side than the AFC. For a couple of reasons, I guess you should say. I think the NFC is better. I think the divisions are more competitive. And again, I don't think it's as lopsided. I feel like there are a lot of really good... There are some good teams at the top in the AFC, particularly like the Chiefs, Bills, Browns, I guess, Ravens. Those are the four like top teams off the top of my head that I would say. But whereas like the NFC, yeah, the Bucks are the clear favorite. But then you also have the Packers, Seahawks, Rams, 49ers. Washington is pretty good. I just feel like it's a li- little more uh, difficult uh, as far as competition goes. And then there are some other competitive teams with not just those top teams. And uh, we'll go over all of that. So let's start with the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks. They're coming in. They get the highest, second highest uh, prediction for the year at uh, 12 wins. Regardless of looking at schedule, I'm going to take the over. First of all, they won a Super Bowl year one. At one point in the season, they were 7-5, and five, but they had to figure it out. Brady figured it out. Bruce Arians, they got it done. Played out of their mind throughout the playoffs for Brady's, what, seventh Super Bowl championship? I mean, it's, it is staggering. And he, 44 years young, and this man is still getting it done. Look at, don't even need to look at their schedule. I'm taking the over. Uh, I would say it's between them and the Chiefs right now as the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Clearly Vegas, as we're doing these over-unders via VegasInsider.com. Vegas thinks that the Chiefs are still the favorite as they have 12 and a half uh, wins for their over-under. Bucks at 12? I don't see five losses happening on their schedule. Maybe if they give a loss away at the end of the year. But the whole gang is coming back. Guys took less money. Brady has the same weapons. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette. Still stacked offensively. The entire defense returns. They're literally returning everyone. When a team usually does that, they're setting themselves up for success the next season. Again, Tom Brady is underrated at this point. ESPN came out with their rankings of their top 100 players. That included everyone. They rated five quarterbacks ahead of Tom Brady. How they are factoring in these rankings are absolutely absurd because Tom Brady is not the sixth best quarterback in the NFL at this point in time. He is debatably number one. And the only person you could even remotely make the debate for that's better at this point right now, I would say, is Patrick Mahomes. Rodgers is not better than him. Russell Wilson is not better than him. Those are, those are the only quarterbacks I would consider, and I would take Tom Brady over all of them. He's the greatest leader in team sports. It's Tom Brady, the GOAT of all NFL players, and he's still going, still getting it done. I expect the Bucks to do what they do, and 
they're in a not so great division. So let's move on the division. So give me the over for the Bucks. The next team, I would say the second most interesting team will go with them, the New Orleans Saints. Reason I say they're interesting, no more Drew Brees. Drew Brees is retired. He is gone. It is now the famous Jameis Winston era in New Orleans. That's right. He's taken over. He beat out Taysom Hill for the starting job. They come in at nine wins. And um, I don't know what they have. Outside of Kamara, on the offensive side, Michael Thomas is out. The star wide receiver, he's out for the early part of the season. Other than that, don't even think I can name a wide receiver without looking it up of who they have. So where is this offense being generated from? Defenses are going to focus on Kamara and force Jameis to throw the ball. And we see what happens when that happens. First 30 for 30 season ever. What if I told you a quarterback threw for 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions? Jameis Winston did such a thing. And now he takes over at quarterback. I, I, I don't know. They're coming in at nine. Nine seems very high. Very high for a team that has very limited offense. Now, Sean Payton, genius, genius when it comes to offense in the NFL, but their receiving core is dreadful. Kamara's still one of the best running backs in the league. He's on my fantasy team. I'm hoping for a big year. I think he'll do some nice things for them, but at the same time, I don't know. I've seen Jameis Winston. I've seen it. I've seen what he is as a starting quarterback, and he is very middle of the pack, and he makes your team very average. Nine seems about what they are going to win this year. So we're actually going to go with the push. We'll go with the push for the Saints. You seem like a nice push team. Nine seems like a good number for them. Right around 500, can't go 500 anymore with 17 games. I would say, yeah, I'm going to go nine. They seem, they're not a 10-win team, definitely not a double-digit win team, but I think they can get right there at nine wins and possibly compete for a wild-card spot depending on how the, uh, the dominoes fall. So push for the Saints. Then we go to the two mm, mediocre, really mediocre teams in that division. Let's start with the, uh, the Carolina Panthers. They bring in Sam Darnold as quarterback. He was with the Jets for the first few years. Then they moved off him, brought in Zach Wilson. So now Darnold gets a change of scenery. Seven and a half. It seems too high. Bringing in a new coach. I mean, they got Robbie Anderson on the outside. Other than that, Christian McCaffrey is back. Again, one of the best running backs in the league right there, if not the best. I just Is their defense there? New coaches tend to struggle in their first year. Seven and a half seems very high. We're going to take the under. And I don't believe in Darnold at this point. He hasn't shown he can be a franchise quarterback. I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt as he played. he's been a part of the New York Jets organization. One of the most dysfunctional organizations out there that can't seem to figure it out when it comes to player personnel and coaching. So maybe the change of scenery can turn things around, but seven and a half, you're telling me they have to win eight games to get the over? One game below 500? No shot. I don't care if McCaffrey's healthy all year. He will put up beast numbers, both in the backfield and as a wide receiver because he's so versatile, but this... mm -mm. I don't care who they brought in on the defense. New head coach, new quarterback, a quarterback who hasn't shown his ability to win many football games in the NFL. Give me the under. 
give me the under. But maybe he, Darnold can show some promise, show that they have the franchise guy. So it's kind of a big year for the Panthers to see what they're going to do moving forward, you know, new coach. Um, they have a lot to look forward to, but at the same time, they're not going to be that good. So give me the under. Let's move on to the final team in the division, the Atlanta Falcons. They're right there at 7.5 as well. Let's see. Julio Jones is gone. So it's uh, Ridley, the best wide receiver on the team. Matt Ryan is still the quarterback. And, again, they, another team that just lives in mediocrity. Matt Ryan's not a top 10 quarterback. Ba- barely scraped the top 15, if you were to really break it down. In my opinion, just, I don't know. There's not a lot of flair. There's not a lot of offense. There's not a lot of defense. They're very middle of the pack. Again, to be one game below 500 as the over I don't see it happening, so I'm going to take the under on the Atlanta Falcons. Let's move on to my to my team and their division. Let's start with the Chicago Bears themselves. Seven and a half. Wow. Well, you know, as a Bears fan, we got to be optimistic. I know we got the Red Rockets being our starting quarterback week one, that being Andy Dalton. I still think this defense is one of the best in the leagues. That leads me to believe that they're the over. Allen Robinson is a for sure number one wide receiver. David Montgomery turned it up at the end of last year. He rushed for over 1,000 yards. I like the direction they're moving, but do they stick with Dalton all year? Fields has shown some flashes of excellence in the preseason. He's a rookie, and at this point in the NFL, rookies are expected to come in and get the job done just from the transition from pro, uh, from college to pro. It's a very seamless transition now that a lot of offenses are moving to the spread like college. So guys have an understanding of it more so than they used to. But even with Andy Dalton, I feel like the Bears are a 500 team. If they go with Fields, there might be a few more errors, might be some late game situational things that he'll struggle with just being a rookie quarterback. But reg- I think regardless of who's under center, I would prefer it to be Justin Fields. I want him build for the future. I know what I'm getting out of Andy Dalton. There's nothing there. Let's get Justin Fields as a reps. I think he's good enough to get the Bears possibly into playoff contention. Definitely not winning the division. Definitely won't go there. But I will say they can maybe win nine games. I think they could do that with both quarterbacks, but why not go with the young guy? Let him show what he can do. See why you drafted him so highly and why he was so touted after. Let's do it. Start Justin Fields, but either way, give me the over. Give me the over. Still an elite defense. Khalil Mack, second-best defensive player in the league, only behind Aaron Donald. This team is dang. This team, look, the quarterback situation is not great especially when we're going with Dalton. It's a reason I'm not a big fan of Matt Nagy. Nick Foles is still on the roster. Hopefully we can trade him for like a draft pick. But this, they can get the over. The Bears can do it. They're not going to let me down this year. Not going to let me down. The Bears, give me the over on seven and a half. Let's move on to the best team in that division, former MVP, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. They're at 10. 10 seems low. Rodgers just coming off an MVP season. They still got one of the best receivers in the league, in, um, Devontae Adams. Um, I like Jones in the backfield for them as well. 
The defense is so-so. It can get the job done. They were one game away from the Super Bowl. Typical Aaron Rodgers getting his team that far. They don't do him any services. And then he carries them as far as he can in the playoffs, which is usually the NFC Championship game. And then they get throttled by whoever they play. They put up a good fight against the Bucs, but the Bucs were by far the better team. That's why I think Brady is better than Rodgers at this point because Brady wins the big games. Rodgers gets them to that point and then just doesn't have enough as far as the roster construction to be able to compete with the upper echelons of teams. You can only carry so much in the NFL. Quarterbacks can do great things. They can make your team double-digit wins, get you to the playoffs, win division titles, win a couple playoff games, but you need a full roster, and I don't know if the Packers have done that, but at 10, 10 still seems low. Seems low. It's especially for Rodgers just coming off an MVP season. He's got another he's playing at least guaranteed one more year. There was talk that he was going to move on from the Packers. If they don't do what they're supposed to do this season, Rodgers is gone. So this is pretty much their last chance to do something great with him unless they do something really drastic this year or in the offseason next year. So they got to go for it. And I think they'll be going for it this year. They should come in with Super Bowl aspirations as a team altogether. Again, I think all teams should come in with Super Bowl aspirations, but there are only a few that actually have true Super Bowl aspirations. Packers are one of them. Give me the over on 10 wins. Moving on, Minnesota Vikings. They come in at nine. And I got to tell you, Kirk Cousins seems like a nine-win quarterback. But see, the problem is I don't want to go with too many pushes because Clearly, not all these teams are going to get right on nine wins. I've only gone with one push, that being the Saints. But God, they, the Vikings seem like a nine-win team, too. They, Kirk Cousins is what he is. Jeffers is a really nice wide receiver after a great rookie year. Adam Thielen is still there. They got Delvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the league. So the offense is pretty solid. It's Can that defense step up? Can that defense put this team in a position to win? Yeah, we're going to go with push. I mean, it's the Vikings. It's still Kirk Cousins at the end of the day. He doesn't win big games, so you can throw that out. If they're on primetime, they're not winning. If they're on a primetime game, Kirk Cousins will not come out victorious in that game. So, yeah, well, they get the push at nine. So two nine-win teams to this point. And then the final team in that division, obviously one of the worst teams in the NFL, the Detroit Lions, uh, coming in at four and a half. To say this team is going to win five games, I have a hard time saying that with the new coach. Jared Goff is now the quarterback. And what do they have to offer? Anything else? Yes, Goff got a team to the Super Bowl, but that's because they had a great defense. And they... The Rams pretty much moved off of Goff when they had the opportunity to. That's why they traded for Matt Stafford. They got rid of Goff as quickly as they possibly could to bring in someone they think is better. Goff is not the kind of quarterback who's just going to turn your team into a playoff contender. He's just not. So at four and a half, to think they're going to win five games this year, I'm sorry, Lions fans, you're in for a brutal season. New coach, too. I don't see them getting it done. No shot. Give me the under. Let's move on to the best division in all of football, which would be 
the NFC West. We'll start with the team that um, I, I'll say will, is the best division at this point. The best team in that division um, would be the Seattle Seahawks. The reason I think they're the best, Russell Wilson, I think is the third best, fourth best quarterback in the league. Excuse me, fourth best. Uh, he carries them. They got DJ Metcalf. Still got a great receiving core. The running backs are serviceable. Pete Carroll's a defensive-minded coach, as is, so they got a good defense. They're sitting there at 10 wins. I think Russell Wilson, shockingly, still has yet to receive an MVP vote in his entire career. He's been to multiple Super Bowls, constantly gets it done, never gets hit, never is hurt. He's the kind of guy who can get you more than 10 wins. I'm going to take the over on the Seahawks getting 10 wins. I just trust in Russell Wilson too much. They've done enough for him offensively to make things happen. Again, he was another guy who was like trade rumors possibly, and then the Seahawks kind of did a couple things to you know improve the offensive line. And uh, I, I think they'll be better than they were last year. They were a playoff team last year, so give me the over on 10 wins. Uh, second best team in that division, going to be those Los Angeles Rams. Now they trade for Matt Stafford. And Stafford changed scenery. He spent his entire career in Detroit living in with below-average rosters and mediocre teams. He finally is in a place where he gets a top defense. He's got some decent offensive weapons. I re- I coming in at 10.5 for the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I'm going to take the over. They got the best defense, two best defensive players at their position and the best defensive player in the league, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league. He's a defensive tackle and leads the league in sacks or close to it. That shouldn't be possible. I mean, multiple guys are blocking him at all times, and he still manages to get to the quarterback. It's absolutely disgusting what this guy does on the front line. They have the best corner in the league. Jalen Ramsey is that. So they got a top-tier defense. I think the offense, again, has enough weapons to be very good. Another team... With the Seahawks, like the Bucks, like the Packers, Super Bowl aspirations. They got to be going for it this year. And I think they can. Uh, I think they're one of the teams that can do it at 10.5. Again, 17 game season. To lose six games, I don't think they have six games, six games that they're going to lose on their schedule. So, Rams, 10.5, give me the over. And then, this is why they're the third. This is the best division in football. They have three teams that have projected over 10 wins. The third team being the San Francisco 49ers, coming in again with the Rams at 10.5. So two teams are coming in at 10.5, and, and the Seahawks are coming in at 10. That is a lot of winning going on. And I, I think all three. Give me the over for all three of them. The 49ers had 31 players injured last year. 31. Uh, that's not going to happen again. It's just not. Uh, and, but that is just staggering that you can have that many players get hurt. And they were still decently competitive. It's going to be the quarterback situation. I think both guys can get it done. Jimmy Garoppolo has shown when healthy. He can win football games. He's not going to blow you away statistically. He's the perfect game manager who's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to make the right reads. He's going to get things done. Trey Lance, 
He's got the big arm. He's a rookie. At this point, we don't know what he's going to be. The 49ers as an organization rave about him. But I think both guys could come in, fill the role nicely. Now, according, did a couple fantasy football drafts over the weekend. According to them, if you look at the projections of scoring, Trey Lance is projected to score more points than Jimmy Garoppolo, which leads the fantasy people to believe that Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback for most of the year. Same with Justin Fields. He, is go- he has more f- projected fantasy points than Andy Dalton, the rookies. And at this point, I would say the 49ers, if they're smart, they get off to a good s- – they should start Garoppolo. They get off to a good start. If they're that confident that Lance – if they're that confident Lance can come in and do just as good as Jimmy Garoppolo, if not better – you start the season off well, then you trade Garoppolo, and you start Lance, and you see what you can get for Garoppolo if you can't get maybe a serviceable defensive player or even accumulate more draft picks. But I think either way, with the defense that they have, they got some defensive offensive weapons along with that. They're a good team. They were good last year for the most part. They weren't great, but again, so many injuries are going to just destroy your team. This team has potential to be good, if not great. And another team, I believe, has Super Bowl aspirations and should believe it. Three teams in this division could win the Super Bowl if they get on a run, if they make something magical happen. And no other division in the entire sport can say that. So give me the over on the 49ers. And then the final team, a still very competent team, that could be... Over 500, the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray is a very nice quarterback. I would say he's top 10. Uh, They bring in A.J. Green. They still got DeAndre Hopkins. Unfortunately, Larry Fitzgerald at this point is not playing. So decent offensive weapons. Offensive weapons, excuse me. Defense, very suspect. Um, I'm I'm not a believer in the defense. Cliff Kingsbury, I don't believe in him as a head coach at this point. I don't know. They seem like they lose. They're not going to win as many games as you would think with the offensive weapons that they have. They have great weapons. DeAndre Hopkins, again, debatably the best wide receiver in the league. Kyler Murray is a great quarterback. But offense, offense doesn't always guarantee success. You need a defense to counterbalance that and be good as well. The Cardinals do not have that. I mean, they still have Chandler Jones, who's a beast uh, on the front line. But other than that, I don't really see the defensive weapons that this team has. So they come in at eight and a half. So that means that the over is them being a nine-win team and over 500 and having a winning record. The under means losing record. It's a tough one, and they make you pick, so I can't even cop out and t- go with the push. So, Mao, E, wow, you know what? The division's too good. All these teams play each other twice in this division. I, at m- best, they are, are splitting this year. They are not going to beat or win both games between Seahawks, Rams, 49ers. There's three losses right there, guaranteed. And if not more, because all those teams are better than them. So that's at least four or five losses. So uh, I am going to take the under 
I'm going to take the under. So three of the teams in that division are getting the over, and then the Cardinals are getting the under. Still very good team. They're going to be fun to watch. Kyler Murray is explosive. Very fun quarterback to watch. DeAndre Hopkins is a beast, makes unbelievable catches. So they're still going to be a fun team to pay attention to, but I don't think they're getting it done in that division. So give me the under. Uh, right now, let, from going to the best division in the NFL, I think we got to go to the worst division in the NFL, and that would be the NFC East. Uh, let's start with the apparently the favorite in the division, the team that's on hard knocks of no episodes that I've watched, the Dallas Cowboys, coming in at nine. Look, Mike McCarthy isn't that great a coach. He won a Super Bowl back in 2009 with Aaron Rodgers. Since then, I mean, there's a reason Rodgers wanted him out. The defense isn't there. Now, they have decent offensive weapons. If Ezekiel Elliott can step up, they got CeeDee Lamb. They got some nice players, but the defense is very suspect. I like my guy Jalen Smith out of Notre Dame, but again, I don't believe in the Cowboys one bit. Dak is going to be back and healthy. He's going to put up big yards, but they're going to give up a lot of points. Going to give up a ton of points. The defense was bad last year. I don't think it's going to get any better. I don't know. I, it's it's the Cowboys, too. It is the Cowboys. They do this every year. They get a lot of hype, especially being on hard knocks. Everyone's paying attention to them. But they do this. The hype gets built up, and then we see them lose to bad teams. We see them lose close games. We see them win a couple of games that surprise us, but then they lose the games that matter most. So, And they always somehow lose to divisional foes that they shouldn't be losing to. Like they'll probably drop a game to the Eagles. They'll probably drop a game to the Giants when they shouldn't have no reason to be losing to either of those teams. So Cowboys at nine. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under. I don't see them as an above 500 football team. Uh, not at this point. Not at this point. So I think the Cowboys are in for a rude awakening as being that team that's just not as good as we are being told or that you would have believe. So Cowboy fans, uh, expect disappointment this season because, again, the offense will put up numbers. You're going to be happy that Dak is your franchise quarterback moving forward, but everything else that goes into winning football, they don't bring to the table. So let's go to the actual best team in that division, and that would be the Washington football team. Still no name. They just are the football team. But they come in at eight and a half. And I got to tell you, with this defense, they won the division last year with the rotation of quarterbacks. Alex Smith winning comeback player of the year. He unfortunately retired. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is now going to be the starting quarterback for them. And we know how inconsistent he is. You know, he'll throw for 400 yards one game and then the next game throw for 150 and three interceptions. Ron Rivera, though, I think we'll keep him a little more in check than some teams have allowed him to be, just because he's usually just your backup. You let him just do his Brian Fitzmagic things, and that includes throwing for a lot of yards from time to time. But then it also is your typical backup quarterback thing where you're like, okay, there's a reason he's backup. I think he's very serviceable. For what Washington does with the team that they have, He's very serviceable. 
So they might make a play for Aaron Rodgers next year if he decides to leave, especially considering how good this defense is. It's one of the best defenses in the league. They're very young. Again, Ron Rivera, defensive-style coach. At 8.5, it seems low. They seem like a double-digit win team to me, just based on the defensive load. Defense wins you championships in the NFL. If you can key in, stop teams from scoring, just do a couple little things on offense to win the game, that's all you need. This is that kind of team. Uh, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to win to the division, and uh, they're definitely going to win more than eight and a half. Obviously, they can't win eight and a half, so they got to win at least nine games, and I could possibly see them being a double-digit win team. They're really the only team I believe in in this entire division. Everyone else, you can throw down the toilet because I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. So give me the over for the Washington football team. Let's move on to the New York Giants coming in. Seven wins. Saquon Barkley's coming back um, from an injury. So he won't be 100% to start the year. And guys don't get more healthy as the season goes on. Um, so that's a little concerning. Daniel Jones, I don't believe in him as a starting quarterback in the NFL at this point. Um, hasn't really shown that much progression from his rookie year to his second year. Let's see if that makes a difference in the third year. Again, they don't have a lot of weapons. They bring in a new coach. Just there's a, They're one of the teams, just not a lot of excitement towards them. So give me the under at seven. I just I don't see any anything where I'm just excited for New York Giants football. And yet this division is always talked about because they're in giant media markets like I don't need to hear about why the New York Giants are bad. We know they're bad. They don't have the talent. The talent isn't there for this team to be successful. So when you're watching your sports and listening to your radio talk show hosts about New York Giants football, you can just turn it off because you know mediocrity and worse at its finest. They're just not a good football team. And then finally, another not good NFL team, the Philadelphia Eagles. I was just in Philadelphia this past weekend. I got to tell you, a lot of people didn't seem too excited for the uh, NFL season coming up. I like Jalen Hurts as a quarterback, but again, where are the weapons? Where are the weapons? They bring in Devontae Smith, you know, who won the Heisman Trophy last year at Alabama. He's already been dinged up. Smaller guy. Is he really going to be that difference maker on at wide receiver? We'll see. This remains to be seen at this point. Um if they come in at six and a half, I don't see them winning seven games this year. I don't. If the Giants aren't winning seven games, there's no way the Eagles are winning seven games. I just, I just don't see it with this team. Another very dysfunctional organization. You know, they bring in Gardner Minshew. They traded for him from Jacksonville. I don't know if that's a good thing or if they're just shoring up the backup role for Jalen Hurts in case he gets hurt or in case he doesn't do what they expect him to do. I don't know, just another team. Not a lot to get excited about. Um, that's who they are, They're the Eagles. You know, after winning the Super Bowl just a few years ago, they deep dive. They have dived deep into the cellar of the abyss of the NFL. So give me the under for that. So that's the over-under picks for the NFC. You can book it right here, right now. I'll tell you what, buy yourself a flight to Vegas just make all these bets for me and thank me. And then, you know, just cut me a little little piece off when you uh, win all that money in uh, Vegas come January and February after getting all these picks right. You're welcome. Ding, ding. 
All right, moving on. Topic number two. NBA season is right around the corner. Very excited for it. Free agency has slowed down. Trades have slowed down a bit. So rosters, for the most part, are set. So at this point, let's discuss who, going into next season, are the best trios in the NBA. Which teams have the three best players at the top of their roster in the NBA? I'll give you my top five. First pick might surprise you on who I might say. People know me as a homer. I like the teams who I like, and I support them and ride or die with those particular teams. Everyone who knows me would probably say I would think the Lakers have the best trio in the NBA. This is if everyone is healthy. If everyone is healthy, these are the best trios, I think. I don't think the Lakers are. I think they're number two. The team with the best trio in the NBA is the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that. Kevin Durant, I think, is the second best player in the league. And then James Harden is the best shooting guard in the league. And Kyrie Irving is, I would say at this point, a top four point guard in the league. So right there, absolute, absolutely devastating trio. I mean, one's an MVP. Two of them are MVPs. Uh, if they're healthy, there's not a lot of ways to stop these guys. Health got in their way last year. Kyrie wasn't healthy. I think that's a big reason why the Bucks beat them. James Harden was injured for through that playoff run. It really hurt them. But when all three are healthy at the same time, I'm not a big fan of them. Not one bit. But it is exciting basketball to watch. And they are going to be very good next year. And they, they definitely are the favorites in that Eastern Conference, regardless that the Bucks just beat them. I would say the Nets are still the favorite um, on that side of the country in the association. So give me Durant, Harden, Kyrie. It is, it's tough to match that. The other team, then I would say, yeah, like I said, Lakers number two, the number two trio. The reason I don't put the Lakers ahead of the Nets at this point is because I haven't seen it. I don't know how exactly it's going to function. Is LeBron going to be more off the ball? Is he going to be the point guard? Is Westbrook going to be the point guard bringing up the ball? How does Anthony Davis fit with those two? It, it's very, they're the most fascinating team in the league as far as roster construction and how everything's going to work together. So that's why I put them at number two. I think LeBron James, this goes to when healthy. When healthy, LeBron James is still the best player in the league. Before he got the ankle injury last year, he was the favorite to win MVP going into year 18. He is now going into year 19, and I still think when healthy, when at full strength, he's the best player in the league as far as being able to do everything. That's how I factor best player. They do everything. He does everything well. He's a Swiss Army knife. He's LeBron James. We all know what he brings to the table. Anthony Davis, when healthy, I think is the best big man in the league. So we have the best player, the best big man. And then I would say Westbrook is fighting there at this point to be a top, is a top five point guard. Right there, yeah, I would take a few guys over him. But it just comes down to a chemistry thing and how it's all going to work together, how these guys are going to play with one another. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I'm going to try to watch as many games as possible. But, okay, do they have the shooting? Davis had a down year shooting. Uh, LeBron is still pretty consistent shooting, but Westbrook is one of the worst shooters from the outside of all time. Gets to the basket 
better than any guard out there, but you got to be able to hit jump shots. Uh, that's why I put them at two. But I am very excited for this team and can't wait to see um, what happens when they hit the hardwood come October. So Lakers at two. Third best trio in the NBA. I got to go with the defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. Look, they just won the championship. I got to give credit where credit is due. If anything, if someone wanted to argue this with me and say that they're the best trio just based off recency and winning the championship, I'm okay with the argument. I I could live with that every day of the year. Giannis showed that he might be the most dominant player in the league. Uh, He's a force to be reckoned with. Uh, No one had any answer for him at any point in the playoffs. Uh, The only thing people complained about was free throws, but he started to knock them down as the playoffs went on. Chris Middleton... I really thought was very inconsistent going into the season last year. He proved me wrong. He played with a lot of consistency. Gave you 25 a night. He's a walking bucket. Absolutely automatic. When he is on, when his shot is falling, he automatic. And he, he had a couple 40-point playoff games. Chris Middleton, he's very easily forgettable as a number two for a team, but he did exactly what the Bucks needed him to do, and I'll give him credit. I will give Chris Middleton credit, and I really like Drew Holiday. Really like him as a point guard. He's one of the, if not the best defensive point guard in the league, besides maybe Ben Simmons, he's the best defensive point guard. The way he was locking up Kyrie Irving, shutting down Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Uh, he just does a lot of different things, and even being smaller, only like 6'4", he can guard bigger guys. He can guard two guards. He can guard threes, and you live with the matchup if he switches on to a four and a guy's just bigger than him, but he, he does a good job not letting people get position. Uh, Drew Holiday didn't get enough credit last year for the things that he did. Won a championship and won a gold medal. Same with Chris Middleton. So I actually really like the trio in Milwaukee. I don't want to hype it up too much, but I would say definitely they are – Number three, when it comes to trios in the NBA. The fourth team, the other team that made it to the NBA Finals, um, the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, it's, your, it's your typical what you would want a championship team to be. You get your point guard, who's going to distribute the ball. You get your go-to scorer in Devin Booker. And then you get the big guy down low who's guaranteed walking double-double who you can dump it down to on the block, and he's going to get you points. Wish he was a little better defensively um, in Aiden. Wish he was a little better shot blocker. But um, you live with that limitation. Seven foot, he'll still make a difference a bit. Uh, I don't think last year was necessarily a fluke. I think injuries really helped them get to the finals. I think if the Lakers were at full strength, they would have beat them, but I don't see a lot of teams. Uh, there aren't. I only see three teams at this point with a better trio. I had Devin Booker, second best point shooting guard in the league. Chris Paul, I would say, is a top three point guard in the league. Maybe coming in at number four right there. You could debate him, Kyrie Irving. It could go either way. I'll, uh, but And then I like DeAndre Ayton down low. Is he one of the best big men in the league? No, but he is up there as a borderline all-star um, if he got the looks and the touches. So I like what the Suns did. I like, I like the little run they went on. They showed they can win big postseason games. 
are they? Do I see them replicating what they did last year? I see them winning a lot of games for sure, just based off the talent that they have with their big three. But I do not see them coming out of the West next year. But still, really like their team. Still very solid. You just can Chris Paul stay healthy. I mean, he's going. He's going to be thirty-seven by the time the playoffs come around next year. Yes, LeBron is that same age, but it's also LeBron James. Chris Paul has had injury concerns throughout his career, especially of late. I mean, he got hurt last playoffs and still managed to play through it. So I like where the team is. I like what the Suns are doing. Definitely could be a top three seed. And they got a great trio. I really like it. And I like to see Devin Booker finally get the credit that he deserves because people disrespected him in the past, and he did not deserve that because definitely one of the best shooting guards in the league. And then the final team, the fifth best trio in the NBA, when fully healthy, you got to go with the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry, best point guard in the league, third best player in the league. Then you got Klay Thompson, the splash bro. When he comes back, he's supposed to come back around Christmas time. He's going to be dangerous for them. And then Draymond Green. Haven't always been Draymond Green's biggest fan, but when that trio is fully healthy, they've shown what they're capable of doing. They can compete and win championships. They showed that they, they can do it in 2015. That was a while ago. I will give them that. But Steph Curry has gotten better since that time. Hopefully, Clay Thompson has improved since then. I know it's tough to improve with injury, but if he can at least give some resemblance of what he used to be, he can be the third best shooting guard in the league behind James Harden and Devin Booker at this point. Maybe you could debate Bradley Beal, but we're splitting hairs at this point. I like Clay Thompson as a, as a trio. As a trio, they are through have 365 wins and 113 losses. That's a win percentage of 76, 76%. That's a number one seed. That's what this team can do when fully healthy. And again, Clay, Clay is a lockdown defender. Draymond Green, same way. Fully healthy, dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. I could almost make the debate just based off their history compared to the Suns' history, that they're a better trio. But with the injury concern a little bit, I would I am going to put them at five because I don't know exactly what I'm getting out of Clay Thompson. Um, but I really like the I really like the Warriors trio. They've shown they can win. They have shown that they can get it done in the past, and I expect them to get it done next year once the trio finally gets the band back together. So right there. Nets trio of Durant, Harden, Kyrie is number one. Lakers trio, Westbrook, LeBron, Anthony Davis at two. Three, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday at three. At four, the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. And at five, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Best trios in the NBA. Moving on to topic number three, let's stay in the basketball world. An all-star caliber player wants out. That would be one Ben Simmons. He wants out of Philadelphia. I don't blame him. I, Doc Rivers said he doesn't know what his future is with the team or what he can be with this team. Apparently his relationship with Joel Embiid has been rocky. 
He's been wanting to trade this entire offseason. The 76ers have tried to move him. Daryl Morey said they want at least an all-star caliber player for him and multiple draft picks. They're not getting that, but Ben Simmons has made it clear he will not be returning to Philadelphia. They even said the 76ers announced they will fine him a lot of money if he does not report to camp, and Ben Simmons and his team, his agent, Rich Paul, they've come out and said, we expect we will deal with the ramifications, but they're not showing up. So all-star caliber player on the move is always big news, and it's always fun to think about what teams would he fit in well and make better. And really thinking about the player that Ben Simmons is, I don't really know where he goes that that team improves all that much. Here's why. So Ben Simmons at this point has shown he's not a number one player. We we can all agree to that. Joel Embiid is the best player on the 76ers. Ben Simmons, number two. He became unplayable during that Atlanta series because he refused to score. He couldn't score. He was an offensive liability. Again, he, he is a great defensive player, really good defensively. But offensively, if you're that big a liability, not willing to shoot from the outside. He wasn't even willing to take dunks and layups. He had opportunities to score, and he passed it up. That turned into turnovers or fouls. He was just scared. It just got in his head at some point mentally uh, last year. So maybe he can turn it around. But that means that if he's the second best player, the 76ers are going to expect that kind of player in return. They're going to expect an all-star caliber player if they trade Ben Simmons. It's usually how it goes. But where do they trade for, let's say, the second best player on any roster where that team then improves? A couple of teams that I've been told he might be a good fit for would be Portland, for example. You know, he's a great defender. They have a lot of shooting. Damian Lillard needs the help if they want to get better. Well, okay, if they're going to trade Ben Simmons, that means the Portland Trailblazers would have to trade C.J. McCollum. The 76ers are not taking less than a borderline all-star caliber player. They're not just going to take a few role players and think Embiid is going to carry them. No, they expect a pretty decent size haul in return for Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons puts them at a place where they got to settle for a massive haul of multiple draft picks and an all-star caliber player. But if you could, you know, get a decent player, a a top-end kind of player for Ben Simmons, that's what they're going to have to settle for. So the second-best player on the Portland Trailblazers would be C.J. McCollum. Damian Lillard has a good relationship with him. Swap out C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. Do you really see Portland getting any better with that move? I don't. I don't see it. I don't see how they drastically improve by getting Ben Simmons. Yes, he is better defensively than McCollum, for sure. But he's not the scorer. He's not the shooter. He doesn't have the chemistry that Damian, with Damian Lillard. I just don't see how he makes him better. If they can hold on to McCollum, the Portland Trailblazers should pull the trigger. But again, I don't think Maury is willing to do that in a trade when it comes to Ben Simmons. They want a top-tier kind of player. 
an all-star caliber player, like I've said, when it comes to a trade. So it's not going to happen in Portland. They can't keep McCollum and bring in Simmons. It's just not happening. They don't have the resources to do it. It's just mm, ain't happening. But I don't think he makes them any better. Another team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. All right, so their best player is Carl Anthony Towns. Their second best player is D'Angelo Russell. Outside of that, you know, they're a young, up-and-coming team. They got Anthony Edwards. They're one of the worst teams in the league. You bring in Ben Simmons. What does he turn them into? Maybe he adds a few wins, but that means you're going to have to trade um, D'Angelo Russell if you're going to want to get a Ben Simmons. Does that really make you better? Yes, he is a better, again, his strengths are he's better at defense than D'Angelo Russell, clearly. I would say he's a better playmaker and passer than D'Angelo Russell as well. But you're giving up the shooting, you're giving up the scoring, so it depends on what you want. But does he really turn them into a playoff team? He turns Minnesota into a playoff team? You couldn't even tell me that with a straight face. No chance. No chance he's doing that for you. Would the 76ers do that? Sure. But would the Timberwolves want to do that? I don't think it makes them better. I think it keeps him in the same spot that they are. And he goes to the tougher conference. It's not going to get any easier out west. And I've just made two Western Conference teams. I'm not seeing it. I am not seeing where Ben Simmons really improves, (laughs) where he really improves any roster. A third team I've heard in trade rumors, the Toronto Raptors. Okay, so their best player, I would say right now, with Lowry being gone, Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam. Take your pick. Does trading for either one of them improve either the 76ers or the Toronto Raptors? No. No, it doesn't. Again, I'm just not seeing it where I'm really confident that Ben Simmons goes anywhere and the team gets drastically better. I don't see it happening. He's a good player. Absolutely. Very talented. He's a borderline all-star player, but he is very overrated. I think people have overestimated how good this kid is going to be. Frankly, if you look at his statistics, he's gotten worse every year he's been in the NBA. His assists went down last year. His turnovers went up. Shooting percentage went down. His points per game went down. Just, He's a great defender. Great defender. Decent playmaker. Other than that, those are the three teams with the most notoriety for trading for him. Even the Sacramento Kings are another team. This will be the final team I talk about when it comes to trading for Ben Simmons. But their best player, De'Aaron Fox. So their second best player is Buddy Heald. So that means they'd have to include multiple players. Well, they already have a point guard. Does Ben Simmons make the Kings better? I don't think so. I mean, again, he cannot shoot. He cannot score unless he's within five feet. He would probably get a, his scoring would probably go up now that Embiid isn't down low, taking up space if he were to go to a few of these teams. But does him scoring really make you better? He can't shoot free throws. He can't shoot from the outside. I just, I don't, again, I would love someone to bring a trade scenario to me or a team, something. Reach out to me. Let me know. Where does Ben Simmons go where he actually makes the team better? Because I don't see it. 
Everyone loves his defense. Everyone loves his ability to pass and go in transition. But I think at the end of the day, he's not really improving many teams, especially for what you're going to have to give up for him. Regardless of the situation the Sixers are in, they're not going to take anything less than a borderline all-star. And if you're doing that, you're pretty much trading for the same thing, if not getting worse, depending on the organization. So it, it will be – I'm excited to see the change where he goes, but I don't think wherever it goes, the experiment is going to work out well for the team that trades for him. I just – I don't. I don't really see him improving any team. But someone – someone out there, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Tell, Give me – a. Sell your case for why Ben Simmons makes teams better. I'm all ears. I'm all, I would love to hear it. would love to hear it. Moving on, final topic. College football has officially begun. That's right, week one has concluded. We had some exciting games. Notre Dame went down to the wire in Tallahassee, won in overtime. Georgia against Clemson. Georgia came out on top in a top five matchup. Topin the weekend, and it was a defensive game all around. The final score was 10 to 3. 10 to 3 for that game. Even in week one, had a huge playoff implications. You know, a loss doesn't help anyone. A loss helps no one when it comes to the playoff. But both teams can still make the playoff. And, and then Alabama rolled Miami. Um, Penn State beat Wisconsin on the road. So there were some exciting games, you know. It, it was a good college football weekend. I just What this really signifies, the first weekend of college football signifies that we will have football for every weekend until February 20th. It's a lot of football to be watched. But I will say this. Uh, even though I will try to watch as many Notre Dame games as possible, I'm not all that excited for this upcoming season. Here's why. The parity is not that great. Look, we already know who's going to get into the playoff. You get your pretty much same six, five or six teams that are in contention, especially with it only being a four-team playoff, which is a big reason why I think they need to expand the playoff. You got your typical... Alabama, they look great as they throttled Miami. And you got another SEC team looking like it's going to be Georgia this year. Okay, and then there's Oklahoma, Clemson, Notre Dame. And then you could throw maybe Texas A&M in there. Iowa State apparently has a good football team. Ohio State. I wouldn't even throw Iowa State in there just because they're not the brand that these other schools that I mentioned are. That's it. That's why they need to expand the playoff. Because the parity is is not great. There's only really a handful of teams that can actually make the playoff when it's four teams. If you opened it up to eight, you give a chance for more at-large bid. You give a chance for these mid-majors to possibly get in, like a Cincinnati. Uh, at least give the Pac-12 a chance for someone to represent them. The Oregon Ducks are looking like the best team there. Just they need to expand the playoff to get more people to buy into the season. Again, I'm excited for football. Football is football. I will watch as many games as I possibly can when it comes to it. But 
at the end of the day, the committee already has their seven teams that they're going to go with. There's not really that many options that they are going to go with when it comes to picking teams for the playoff. You got to have the brand, you got to have the wins, and apparently you got to have the eye test of who looks like the best team. And I can already tell you, it looks like it's going to be Alabama. It looks like it's going to be Ohio State. They looked a little rocky against Minnesota, but the Big Ten isn't that good. And so they should win most, if not all, of their games and go undefeated. And then Clemson, even with the one loss, can still win the ACC. Georgia, they're right there, regardless if they win the SEC or not. We've seen teams lose the SEC championship game and still make the college football playoff just based on the eye test. And I guess you throw Oklahoma in there. They should win the Big 12. And, you know, I hope for Notre Dame to do it. They got the brand to do it. They have the schedule for it with the teams that they play. But it just, again, I, that's why you can only get so excited for college football just based off the parody that is in it. I think it just makes it tough. And the, the NCAA in college football really limits itself by having only four teams in the playoffs. They expand it to eight. You add more parity as you give a chance to these maybe teams that you wouldn't consider. Your Cincinnati's of the world, your Coastal Carolinas, give them a chance. I mean, if Alabama's just throttling everyone, why not get, see if this underdog team like Cincinnati can come in and maybe beat them? You know, anything could happen. But not that many things are going to happen in college football because it's consistently, consistently the same teams at the top. Again, I don't think there's a lot of parity. So I really only get, I can only get so excited when it comes to college football. I'm excited it's back, but uh, I just need more excitement when it comes to the sport rather than it just being football is back. And again, I know some of these rosters, like Alabama, they always get the best recruits. Georgia gets the best recruits. Oklahoma, Ohio State, they always get the best recruits. So if you get the best recruits, you usually have the best teams. But you've got to open it up for more of these conferences and more of these schools to have a chance to make the playoff so it can add more parity and more excitement to the sport. Let's move on to our unpopular opinion. This isn't sports-related. This is food-related. Everyone raves about it. But I got to tell you, I'm not that big a fan. Chick-fil-A. That's right. I think Chick-fil-A is overrated. few reasons why. So how I factor it in, when it comes to food, I want to be satisfied. I want to be full. I don't want to enjoy the meal to the fullest. That means having my appetite, you know, achieved. I don't want to, I want to be satisfied with the meal. When I go to Chick-fil-A, I'm usually hungry after, regardless of what I order. Usually always hungry. They just have, they have y'all fooled. They have everyone out there fooled just because they're nice. The nice factor is a placebo effect for the food. Off the top of my head, I can name five chicken sandwiches that are better than Chick-fil-A's. Let's just say it. Popeye's has a better chicken sandwich. Zaxby's has a better chicken sandwich. Burger King has a better chicken sandwich. McDonald's even has a better chicken sandwich. There's a place here in Orlando. It's called Huey McGoo's. 
they have better chicken. PDQ is another place here in Florida that I'm sure other people have heard of. They have better chicken than Chick-fil-A, sandwich speaking. Also, all of the places I just named, except for Burger King and McDonald's, the tenders at all the places, Zaxby's, Popeye's, Huey Magoo's, PDQ, all have better chicken tenders and chicken nuggets than Chick-fil-A. The fries at Chick-fil-A are over reason, too. Waffle fries are good. I like waffle fries. But they don't give you any fries. You order a large, you get like six fries. You get six fries. That's it. Nothing else. And, you know, the drink is the drink. Chick-fil-A is only hyped up and so enjoyable to people because I'm telling they're fooling you. The niceness. Yeah, oh, how can I help you? How may I serve you? My pleasure. When you hear my pleasure, you think that chicken tastes 10 times better than it is just because you're like, wow, they were so nice to me. Guess what? They're not very nice. They don't like gays. <laughs> the anti-gay chicken. And this isn't, I want to stick up for all the gay and lesbian and letter people out there. They deserve the right to eat chicken too. But that's not what this rant is for. This is strictly based off chicken about what they're serving me. It's not that good. It is not that good. The people who swear and live and die by Chick-fil-A, you're out of your mind. You can go to other places and get better chicken sandwich, better chicken tenders, more fries. And again, I'm basing this off quantity and quality. I don't get anything when I go to Chick-fil-A. They're just nice. Is the food decent? Sure. The food is decent. Are their workers extremely nice? Yes. Every time. Every time when I hear my pleasure, I'm like, mm, you bet it is. You bet it is. But it's fooling you. It's a placebo on your mind to believe that the chicken is better than it is. So I believe Chick-fil-A is overrated and not as good as they would have you believe. Try some other chicken places. Try some other chicken sandwiches. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll agree with me that Chick-fil-A is overrated. And that's the end of episode 54 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, check me out on social media. Hit me up. I want guests on the show, so I'm going to start hitting y'all people up. We're going to start having more guests, more viewers, more everything. So stay tuned, stay locked, stay loaded, because episodes are coming at you quick. All right, I'm out. Peace. Peace.